and welcome to episode number seven of Grumpy Old Ben's. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where the sun is shining and everything is beautiful. And from an undisclosed location on the cloudy left coast of the United States, I'm Brian Bemrose. We are talking about cord cutting today, Uh, not necessarily on how to do it, but the concept and what you can expect, how it changes your life. Does it save you money? Is it something that gives you all the free time in the world and gives you a great grand utopia? Or is it just a bunch of hooey? We hear a lot of about this in the media. We hear whichever your cable flavor of choice in America, a lot of it is Xfinity, Comcast. We hear that people are losing numbers. And people are going to different things. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, the technology involved with this. And we are with an expert because Sir Ryan Bemrose, I've been told you are kind of the hipster of cord cutting and I'm stealing your joke. (laughs) Well, so at its basic level, cord cutting is just the idea that you don't take cable TV in your house anymore. You issue the old standard business model. And I think uh, you and I are in a pretty good position for this because cable TV was not available when I was a small child and we had uh, over the air TV. So we're kind of uh, our experience bookends both ends of the full cable TV, just the rise of it. And now what looks like it's downfall as more and more people, especially in younger generations, are looking at these big $150 a month bundles of 900 channels that you're never going to watch and thinking, I don't need that. I can just stream what I want. Well, that's always been the biggest complaint about the all you can eat cable model, which is you get it. Well, it used to be 57 channels and nothing on was a Springsteen song from early in the cable day. So we've come a long way from just having 57 channels. Now, there are hundreds of channels. And, and there's a, there was also a Weird Al song that did the same thing. So there was a lyric, I hooked up 80 channels and each one stunk. And that's absolutely true. So usually it comes down to the fact that for the longest time, customers wanted the ability to say, hey, you know what? These are the channels I watch. Just give me that. And the cable companies never wanted to do that because, well, one, it's a logistical nightmare. And two, it would net them a whole lot less money. But this whole internet thing has kind of changed that concept entirely. There were years when I was really into Major League Baseball, which if you've been following my other podcasts, you'll know there are reasons why I'm really not any longer. But for the summertime, when I was into baseball, you're, you're not into baseball. I know. And I, I talk about it a lot, but it's the only thing you talk about on your other show. But to be fair, I used to watch 162 plus games a year. And over the last two or three years, I think I've seen a combined total of like five to 10 games. So it's really dropped off. My interest levels really dropped off for various reasons. But for me, the summertime used to be like, all I need is the MLB package. Don't need anything else. But of course, the cable companies didn't have that possibility. And even if you got, this is where cord cutting doesn't always work. Even if you got the MLB package, and this is still currently the case, you cannot watch any game that is happening in your area live, which kind of screws that whole concept up. Oh, that's not a cable rule. That's an MLB rule. Yes. And I understand that, but I'm just saying if you wanted to be the, uh, you know, if you wanted to cut that cord and be like, hey, I just want this. Technically, you can't even get that unless you pay five bucks a month for a service called the Unlocator or get a VPN. Because not even the cable company can package in season tickets to the stadium. That's well, they could try. It depends if they own that. But if you want to watch MLB or if you want to watch hockey and you're you're getting blackouts, the Unlocator, look them up, is a great service. So to to understand what cable TV is like, you first have to think about what did it replace Uh, when when we were small children. Uh, back in the the dark ages, there were only uh, when I was a child, there were seven channels that we could get from our over the air antenna. We had uh, the the big ones, ABC, NBC, CBS, that were the broadcast, and we had a couple other channels. There was a uh, our local PBS, and I think there might have been might have been Fox, but anyways, I, I don't remember because I didn't even really watch TV then, unless it was Saturday morning cartoons. But the thing about it was. 
you had, if you wanted to watch anything on TV, you had whatever they were playing at that moment. And actually that's uh, probably the most distinguishing feature of cable TV versus modern services. Now is a concept that I call appointment viewing. That is the idea that if you want to view a particular movie, say Avengers is on and you want to watch it, then you have to sit down and switch to a channel at a particular time of day and start watching at that time. And then you finish watching when they're done airing it. And if you get stuck in traffic or you need to finish up something and you come in 15 minutes later, you miss the first 15 minutes of the show. That's not convenient which uh, we talked about in our last episode, but that's the way it was. That's how TV worked forever. The, the only thing that cable brought was that it brought more channels. When you only had seven choices, you kind of had to settle for what you wanted to listen to or watch or pay attention to. What cable brought was 56 channels, 80 channels, 900 channels, whatever they're up to now. And so while you're still limited to appointment viewing, you at least have a lot of choice in deciding, well, which one do I want to pay attention to? Well, that was the dark ages when your favorite show started at eight o'clock on a Tuesday night. Or for me as a kid wanting to watch Doctor Who, which, of course, PBS here in Chicago didn't run until like 11 o'clock on Sunday night. And of course, your parents don't want you up at 11 o'clock at, on Sunday night. So, you know, you had to sneak the little watchman, you know. And, and you'll go under the covers like you're reading a book or whatever you were doing uh, to watch that because you had to do it at the time that the television network was putting it on. And that was the, the complete antithesis of being convenient. So the greatest innovation that streaming services have brought up is that now you don't have to start it at a particular time. You just have to be you, you have to sit down when you're ready to sit down. And then you can click and the thing starts on your time. Right. And the funny thing about streaming services, though, is that cable TV kind of gave us a gateway drug to this concept. What when they well, I, I, there was no way that I guess they couldn't embrace the TiVo concept. I mean, I know they kind of fought it for a bit, but there was really not much you can do because the courts had to get involved. I mean, in the good old days when you had a TiVo, too, and maybe this is still the technology. You had to go and get a cable card from Comcast or whoever your provider was so that the device could pull in the channels that you were supposed to get. But this concept of a DVR came along and it gave you the ability not to have to do that scheduled viewing, as you said. So you could watch whatever you want, whenever you want to watch it. And people started getting used to this. And it really started becoming the question of like, well, wait, why am I buying a machine that it could record the show when it's actually on and then I could play it back in my convenience? Why isn't there just a service that can take all of my shows and I can just pick them up at any time that I want? And, and that's about when Netflix came along and which they started two kids, believe it or not. Netflix started as a service that sent you discs in the mail. And I know that's hard to believe for some now, and that, that makes me feel really old because that seems like just yesterday that this was a uh, this was a major revolution that, oh, I don't have to buy DVDs. I can just they'll just send me one and I can send it back. I don't have to go to Blockbuster. Remember those Net Netflix was they were 10 years ahead of their time. They were an OG Internet app because while their service was send you discs in the mail, the whole reason for the word net on this was that you use an internet, the internet, uh, a web page, because we didn't have smartphones yet to decide what you wanted and order and place your orders and pay. And everything happens online except for the physical shipping of discs. Right. You queued movies, believe it or not. And there were times where you didn't get the movie that was at the top of your queue for like weeks because other people had it in their queue before you did. Well, when, yes, when you're shipping physical DVDs there, yes, there was a limit. And that was not convenient. Well, the funny thing about, well, about Netflix is they took advantage of the one loophole in the appointment viewing model that we had. Uh, that loophole was we always had the ability, uh, even, even when uh, as a children, I, I remember VHS tapes, be kind, rewind, and you, you could rent a tape and then you could watch the movie on your own time. And that was a luxury. And then tapes gave way to DVDs and DVDs gave way to Blu-ray. But 
offline media has always been a luxury, but it's one that we don't really need anymore because streaming services these days have now started to replace all of that. You know, as we discussed in the last episode, convenience is is the thing that drives technology forward. And it's sure convenient to be able to watch a movie on your own time. And that's what VHS and DVD brought us. But well, you know, what's even more convenient is not having to get up off the couch and walk across the room and put a physical disc into a machine. Because if you can just select from a menu and it starts playing, then I mean, hey, you're comfortable, right? Well, that's always been the goal on a lot of this stuff. And again, kids, believe it or not, you used to have to go with music. It was vinyl, cassettes, CDs, and now where everybody is streaming. There's very few people that buy physical media anymore, even though vinyl is coming back and I like vinyl. But for your daily listening, you don't buy a physical product anymore. Everything is streaming. Television, we thought for the longest time, wouldn't be able to get there for a variety of reasons, one of which was the bandwidth issue. But that quickly fell away. And again, I remember times going back, you know, five or 10 years when Netflix was just thinking about or just starting to do the streaming online rather than just sending out discs in the mail. There was a lot of talk seriously from people saying, well, the Internet only has so much bandwidth. We're going to get to this certain point and then everything's going to slow down and nobody, you know, it's going to be oversaturated. You know, basically the pipes were going to be bursting because there wasn't enough room to carry all these bits. And this was because of Netflix. This was because of the YouTubes and all these things starting. That never happened. You know, that was at least it hasn't happened yet. And people are pushing 4K video. So I I don't know. I think the Internet's always going to be growing at a point to where I don't believe that's going to ever happen. But the concept now that all of this stuff is at your fingertips and you like you said you go onto a website you press a button the content starts it's a much different concept than when we were kids going from television where you know the only way to watch cartoons was get up early on saturday morning and watch them if you overslept you were screwed now kids can watch cartoons 24/7 does that make us a better society or a worse well it certainly makes it a more convenient society i wanted to go back to uh you know just what what are we what are we replacing with the uh, with the cable the you know cable tv cable companies what did they bring us you know there has to be something good why why do we why do so many people still have this you know you can you look at okay well we've already discussed it's it's they've got high prices they've got appointment viewing you know what what could possibly be the draw to bringing people back and keeping them on cable well, i know what it was originally and that was You don't have to have an antenna on the roof. And allegedly, the picture quality was better. And that was true at some points and not true at others. Because for a while, cable television was really hampered by the fact that long runs of cable does not equal good picture quality. But that was one of the things they were supposed to bring was better picture quality than putting an antenna up and obviously the convenience factor. I think think picture quality has been completely independent from service model. Picture quality has been constantly improving. Cable improved immensely when they went from analog to digital. And now with analog, the longer your cable run, the more signal degrades. With digital, you have perfect signal right up until the point where it degrades far enough it can't decode, and then you've got no signal, which uh, is arguably a, a benefit. But as long as you can keep under that magic length, then you're you're still good. The other thing that I think that cable companies have brought us is selection and the selection of being able to provide everything. It's, it's still one of the only places that you can go to get all of the content. You know, if you go to Netflix, you're going to get Netflix originals and you're going to get a spate of really terrible B-rate movies that may or may not be good. And then depending on what deal they've made that month, you've got, you know, 30 days to watch a particular blockbuster movie that they negotiated for. And that's about it. If you go to Hulu, you're going to get uh, new shows a week behind the day that they stream and you're going to get some back catalog, but usually falls off with cable. You have the access to all of it. The cable has deals with everybody. And uh, these deals, I think, are probably one of the the biggest impeding factors in moving the entire entertainment industry forward, and that is exclusives. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, people want the content 
that they want. And Hulu, I believe, is a day after it's actually on TV. So they're not really that far behind. And they offer a couple different services, which one's paid and one's not. And one, you get ads still. And usually I think that's the reason people want to get away from television is they don't want any more ads. But the content, wherever that is, people will go. It's kind of like all of this stuff online. Why did Twitter become popular and another competing service didn't? You have to get the people there. And usually for something like Twitter, it was, hey, we got, you know, Ashton Kushner's here. Yay, this is exciting. And everybody runs to it. But people go to where the content that they want is. There's a reason why things that are competing with Twitter don't get as many users because the content that the people want isn't there. And TV is really no different when it comes to that. But when people talk about cord cutting, and it's an interesting thing, because a lot of people will come out and be like, ha ha, you know, Comcast lost X amount of TV users this year. And I'm like, do they really even care? Because they're still selling you on your internet. Usually people that are cutting the cord, which is the case for me, I don't have television any longer, but I have a Comcast internet line. And for years, you knew that they were pushing the television part of it hard because I could get a better deal for the last few years up until this last year. And if you don't know, every year when your bill goes up, if you're not on or if you're not on a promotional pricing, call up, ask for the retentions department, tell them you want to cancel, tell them the bill's too high. You'll get a better deal. But I digress. For the past few years when I had done this, they always ask you the question like, well, hey, what do you what do you watch on TV? And I'm like, nothing. Oh. I ended up getting a better deal. I'm like, all I want is your fastest internet. And I don't want television for years. They made me bundle this. Well, no, here, take at least this much TV with the internet and we'll give you a better deal than internet alone. And there was a reason for that. And that was because they had to keep their numbers up. And I'm sure it had something to do with advertising and this and this. So I'm going to tell you the reason why they care in the back rooms, in the the deal making parts of the cable company. It is a pitched battle between the content carriers and the content producers, the studios, the big Hollywood groups, uh, everybody, every single person making a channel, everybody making a show, everybody carrying on cable are in a constant battle and a constant price war in the background where nobody can see them for how much do I pay you? How much do you pay me? to get this show in front of the peop- the consumers. You know, Comcast the cable company has the has the people and they want to pay as little as possible to get the channel. The channel has the shows and they want as much money as possible to get the cable company to carry their shows. You know, the the only times that you see this spill out over into the public is because every once in a while you'll see something like Dish will black out a channel saying, well, this channel's not paying us enough money and therefore you don't get to see it. Or a channel will put a logo on their feed that says, we're going to put this logo right in front of you because Dish wants too much money. And that's not exactly how they phrase it or couch it, but you've seen the, you know, the, the only time that those discussions ever go into the public is when these cable companies get start to fight and they try to fight in the public, trying to get the public on their side because the public is a very powerful force. Well, yeah, because people are going to demand the channel. Exactly. But why do, why do they want the numbers up? Which is, is what you, you know, you pointed out. And this is something that every Comcast technician and salesperson will agree to is they are pushing their cable subscribers and they don't even care if you don't use it. In fact, if you don't use it, that saves them on the technical side, but they need those numbers up because that is a negotiating point. That is a piece of information. They, if they can go to the network and say, we have 3.4 million people on our service in the Jonesboro metropolitan area. Therefore you need to pay us you know, $17 and 10 cents per whatever. And if that number is only 1.7 million, then they have a weaker negotiating point. And it's worth far more than just the subscriber fees. And it's in fact, you know, doubling the amount of people that you have in a market can triple the amount of money that they get for the channel if their negotiators are good. This is where I found it odd. This was the first time I didn't get that stuff from Comcast. I went, I really, all I need is internet. I really don't watch TV. And they went, 
all right. And gave me the best possible deal was without TV. So I think there may be that we, we may be finally at a point to where this is starting to now move in a different direction where even these behemoths like Comcast realize they can't keep people on an old business model, which television is a very old business model any longer. And maybe it's not even worth keeping up the charade anymore because you can get this content in so many other places. And it's interesting to me that using something like Hulu and I pay for the Hulu without the ads and there is they they have everything on Hulu from Fox, ABC, I believe maybe NBC and I think it's CBS. Is CBS the one NCIS is on, I believe. I I am the wrong person to ask that question. It's hard to tell anymore. You used to, do you remember that as kids? You knew what channel the show was on. You knew because you had to find it. Yeah. That's there was a there was a network identity with these shows. And that's also something that's another whole rabbit hole we can go down as far as what this new cord cutting has done. You don't even know necessarily what networks your shows are on and not necessarily even know when they run, what days or what times any longer. But the concept with Hulu is that I, there's only one network that's missing. So I end up having to go and download those shows, which NCIS is one of those series. But for everything else, I can just go to Hulu and I know they will be there. So it's a convenience factor for me, even though it's like 12 bucks a month and I could download all those shows. I'm like, well, I can get them in this manner. It's easier. That little bit of convenience is worth it to me. There are no ads, which is a major plus. But the concept here with cord cutting now is you don't need that cable box to get the shows that you want especially on the devices that you want to watch them. Cause how many people, I mean, I know I'm old and I still watch TV on well, a television. My wife will watch a lot of television shows when she's, you know, at lunch at work. I know kids like to watch, you know, TV shows on their phone and their tablet. How many people are actually watching this content on a television now? And how many are watching it on their phone or tablet? Yeah, I, to be honest, I watch most of it on my PC screen, which is uh, about four feet in front of my face and is still the the old 22 inch LCD monitor. I have a big screen TV, which is much more useful and conducive for group viewing. It's where we go if we want to watch in a group, but it's cold down there and I'm very comfortable right here in front of my computer where I can get everything I possibly want. You brought up the, you know, we, we've been dancing around the, the interesting thing about business models. And I just want to go off onto a little bit of a philosophical rant here. There's been a lot of talk and, and I'm going to go ahead and set up some straw men because that's, that's what I read about on, on those horrible social networks. One of them is, well, how are these people going to get paid? And, you know, putting aside the fact that it's not my responsibility for your business model, the simple fact is that because of all of the things we've brought up, the cable business model is failing. And I, I don't mean to be an I told you so, but when I first cut the cord, which would be 2001, they didn't even have a term for cord cutters back then. Insane. It was pretty clear to me that, that this business model was not long-term sustainable. And uh, you know, my, I, I'd be able to make a lot of money on it if I could get a handle on the timescale, because I certainly didn't predict 20 to take 20 years for the flailing to start finally showing. But it, it's pretty clear that the cable companies, their business model is they are a gatekeeper. They are middleman. Gatekeepers are anybody who makes it their business to control access from one person to another. In this case, from the people who produce shows to the people who watch shows, the show producers, the consumers, everybody in the middle, the networks, the channels, the cable companies, they're all middlemen. In a pure capitalism, Middlemen are an inefficiency and capitalism will always select to remove inefficiencies. And that means that on the grand scale, uh, what you're seeing with the, the death of the cable model is the destruction of middlemen who are introducing inefficiencies into the capitalist model. They're not quite being replaced with, you know, obviously the most theoretically efficient method that you could possibly get is somebody produces a television show and I buy it directly from them. Which is happening. I mean, that's, there's, there's sites that it is increasingly happening in a lot of places, but uh, you, you were just about to say that there's sites, those sites are middlemen, but go on. Well, there are sites that facilitate these kind of things where they're basically taking the money. Kevin Smith was doing this with a television show that I don't believe has come out yet because he's been doing a movie and all that. But there was a, a pilot that was available. I don't remember the site name that this was up on, but here, here's a pilot. 
And if you like the show, it's a crowdsourcing thing. You say, oh, I like it here. I'll give you X amount per episode. If they get enough people that say we'll give you X amount per episode to where they can actually afford to make the content, it gets made. If they can't, it doesn't get made. That's just price negotiations. Well, it's price negotiations, but it allows you to get a television show made without getting it on a network. So you can say there's a middleman. In this case, I kind of think it's kind of like using PayPal to take money. PayPal is not really a middleman for us to make our show. It's just the way that if people want to support the show, they can do that. Uh, so they're not necessarily a gatekeeper because you can still do it. This is just a way of of making money. This isn't, well, if you want to see my show, you have to subscribe to Netflix. That is a gatekeeper, just like the cable networks are. And that's a little bit of a different thing. And what you described is far more efficient. And in fact, they can produce a show at a lower cost to the end consumer precisely because they're not paying 50% of their income to some middlemen who are aggregating it with 900 other channels. Which makes sense because you think about the way a show gets made now and even just look at this over the last five to 10 years, how this has changed you to get a show made, you would have to, it got paid for by advertising through the network. And I'm not sure how this has even been still a sustainable method at all since a DVR was invented with a little button that lets you skip commercials. I would like to know if anybody has real data or or even a good guess on how many people still watch television shows while they're live without skipping commercials. Well, here's a hint. A lot of those people are baby boomers. They grew up with it and that's just how television is watched and they're okay with it. But, that, but their numbers is, have to be shrinking massively. Well, the number of baby boomers is shrinking. Oh, that is absolutely true as well. The, the people, people in our generation have more so learned to pick up on it. But again, we grew up with the way that you watch television is in nine minute chunks punctuated by three minute commercial breaks. That's just how you watch TV, which means that you are enforced a chance to get up and walk away or sit there and absorb the propaganda if you prefer. And that's just how TV happens. And the people younger than us, millennial generation and whatever the they're calling the next one, it's always cute names for generations. Those are people who've grown up going way. Why? But why are you watching that? I, they, I mean, the show was getting really interesting and then suddenly they stopped and I'm watching something about uh, drug ads. What, why? And a lot of them are drug ads. Now. It is completely ludicrous. Well, the drug ads, it follows directly from a thesis on the No Agenda show where the content of the ads, it follows the demographic and the primary demographic you were asking of people who are watching TV with ads. That primary demographic is now getting old enough that they need a lot of drugs just to manage their daily (laughs) lives, Uh, which is true. So it's not even the demographic of the show anymore. It's just the demographic of who's watching live because that's all that matters. Absolutely. And if there's one thing that those gatekeepers are really, really good at, it is they spend a ridiculous amount of money determining exactly who's watching a show because that information, just like the, the Google model, just like the selling your privacy online model. Knowing exactly as much information as you can about the people that you're giving ads to makes your ad slots more valuable. Right. And so that this is the other place that these somebody making a show, this is how they're recouping some of their money now is with these services like Hulu, uh, Netflix, whoever is carrying the show pays them. So in lieu of this is how you can see the show without ads on Hulu because you're paying Hulu and part of what you pay to Hulu then goes to the network. So instead of viewing the ad, you know, those few pennies that you're paying on on Hulu to watch that particular show offsets it. And I think that's part of a convenience thing. And that's always been a trade that I've been willing to make, which is give me the content I want. I don't want to waste my time with ads. And I understand that that's worth something. The question then always becomes, how much is that really worth? And that's a price negotiation. I've long since decided that if, if given the choice, between seeing content with ads or paying for content without ads, I will not watch the ads. You know, actually, in, in my personal decision many years ago was that I'm done with advertising. I avoid advertising on all levels now. And that might be a different rant. I was going to say this would be a perfect place just to splice an ad into the program. It, it would be. And if you do, then uh, 
you know, a good good luck with your uh, your solo grumpy old bent. Oh, <laughs> and we will can quickly be deplatformed yes. from the No Agenda stream. You'll be deplatformed from the Sir Bemrose stream. And that's even worse. I don't do ads. Don't uh, no advertising is bad. My, you you know what the difference is between marketing and propaganda? Marketing is done for for money, and propaganda is done for political power. Otherwise, they're exactly the same. They are manipulating people in order to believe or do something that you want them to do. But somebody has to pay for this stuff. And I understand that. And we're fine with paying something for the content that we want. Oh, and you know who the, the original marketing guru was? The very first one? It was the serpent. Go on. You're going back to Adam and Eve. This will be on the, the next grumpy old Ben's. We, as we discuss Genesis one through however many chapters there were in Genesis, the OG marketer, <laughs> the original and, and nobody liked marketers then. And nobody likes marketers now, but I don't have a problem with piracy and stuff that I can't get anywhere else. That's to me, that's part of the being the cord cutting you have to deal with. I'm more than willing and I do pay Hulu. But if there's something that's not on that site, then you know what? Because the people and I understand the argument on both sides. If NCIS is only available via piracy, people will be like, well, you know, you know, nobody watches the commercials anyway. So who are you hurting? I understand there's an ecosystem there and I understand you're skirting it, but I just say again, bad on the people who can't bring me this content at a reasonable rate. Well, the, the ecosystem is precisely the, you know, what, what are you willing to pay for? What do you get? You know, you, you, you brought up piracy, which is most conversations about cord cutting always tend to bring up piracy, but they avoid it and they dance around it. And the simple fact is that it is an option for people and it, it is in fact an economically viable option and even more so it is tends to be by far the most convenient option yes anytime that it is convenient and cost effective to pay for something legally people usually do and and in large groups even people who are hardcore piraters who know all of the back sites and and can download everything they'll, they'll look at this and say you know it's a buck and I, I've already got the, there, there are some people who on principle will not pay for anything, period. And, you know, shame on those people because you're, you're not contributing to a, a healthy capitalist economy. Right. You're not, you're not, you're not helping those creations continue to get made. So if you enjoy them and you don't, if you just steal everything, then at some point, if everybody steals it, nothing will ever get made. But that's not even true. People love to create. We're, we're making this show without any expectation of that we're going to make a living at it. You still have a day job. I still have a day job. But things will get made. But at the same time, it's the value for value model. People should always provide what value they want for the value they get out of things. And going back to piracy and TV shows, if you are getting a certain amount of value out of watching a TV show, but the network or the whatever outlet has an exclusive on that TV show is not willing to provide the show for anywhere near that price, then piracy is their competition. Right. You're, you're, you know, exclusives are a, they're a plague on the content generation industry. It's one of the reasons why I argued vehemently that copyrights should be much weaker than they are today is the very idea of exclusives. You produce content and you want people to see them. However, you try to attach some strings, uh, some writer to how they're able to consume that content. You say, well, I think that I, I want people to see this content and I want them to give me money for this content, but I only want them to see it on Hulu. Well, right. then, then anybody who's not subscribed to Hulu is not going to experience your content. And like I said earlier, middlemen are an inefficiency in the capitalist system. And those in a, capitalism will always, a free society, which is kind of synonymous with it, will always seek to route around the inefficiencies like that. And what you're seeing there is piracy. And piracy has the major advantage of you can be your own Hulu. You know, you can be your own Netflix. You don't have to worry about the fact, you know, once I download every episode of Friends, every episode of Jag, every, every episode of whatever TV show you want, 
it never goes away. You don't have to worry about, hey, I was in the third season and then Netflix decided they didn't want to pay for this anymore. So it disappeared from the service and now I'm screwed. Exactly. And and this is where, you know, the quality is a question with piracy. And that's one of the still the biggest drawbacks because I did download the 10 seasons of Jag, even though my parents own all 10 seasons of the DVDs and I could have taken them and ripped them all. But that takes work because you have to rip them and convert them and all that which I'm probably going to end up doing anyway, because a lot of the rips were just horrible and from TV and and completely unwatchable. So that's the downside of piracy. But that I found to be, you know, not the norm. The other cost of piracy, of course, is you know, you're, you're not actually paying money up front, but there's always the risk there. I mean, the, it's it's low these days, but there is always the risk that because you're doing something illegal that you might get caught doing something illegal and be forced to go through a terrible court battle. And a lot of people discount that, but that really is that and the quality thing are the main costs to piracy. So what are the benefits to piracy? Well, it's convenient, like you said, and you always have access to your content and it doesn't get deleted from the server later. So everybody who even, and then finally, because it is a decision point for a lot of people, you have to think of the moral question of, is it right? And I'm certainly not going to preach morals here, but that is something that figures into a lot of people's decisions. So you have to take all of those benefits and weigh them against the costs and then decide, is this better or worse than getting this content legitimately? Right. You know, in the case of a lot of shows, you know, Netflix originals or whatever, the cost of getting House of Cards or whatever, that's, that's, yeah, that's an older one. But and the cost of getting that is a $12.99 a month subscription to Netflix, which is not a lot. The cost of getting a an NCIS episode is uh, I don't even know how to do it legitimately. Uh, I think you can get them on like Amazon per episode, and they think they charge like three to five bucks an episode, which is a little insane. So if the newest episode of NCIS is worth more to you than three to five bucks an episode, then you're and you don't want to deal with trying to pirate, then you're going to do that. But as you pointed out, piracy is almost always far more convenient. Piracy tends to have lower costs. This is the service that all of these other services are competing against. And so when somebody gets an exclusive in their content that they get to be the only service, that is a monopoly. And in fact, the fact that that exclusive comes from copyright laws means that it is a government granted monopoly. And what do monopolists do? They always artificially elevate their prices. So why haven't the prices gone up astronomically? Well, because no matter what your copyright monopoly gives you, there are at least two options which people have to weigh against that. One is piracy. The other is the option that I usually take, which is, well, I don't need to see that. Right. There's a lot of content out there. You don't need to specifically see any one thing. And just to, uh, I looked it up on Amazon. You can buy one episode of NCIS in HD for $2.99. You can buy the season for $34.99, or they're also hawking the CBS All Access. You can get a seven-day free trial. Otherwise, it's $5.99 a month after that, which is why I don't get any CBS programming. That's why they're not on Hulu. That's that's why I've never seen a single episode of Star Trek Discovery. Yes, same here. And, and for that, some of these places, I think, are kind of missing the boat on making their content easy to get into the viewer's hands. And I guess that's Again, a business decision for them. And when they stop making money, I guess maybe they'll rethink the way that they do things. So, yeah, piracy. If you're going to do that, just a little public service announcement and get a VPN that doesn't report back. There's a website. I believe it's that one privacy site.net. So, so now, now we're being deplatformed for being a show that teaches people how to pirate movies. No, we're just suggesting that you be safe in all your digital doings. Run everything through a VPN that's preferably based somewhere that the DMCA notices can't touch. Just saying, if you're going to do it, protect yourself. Not suggesting you do it, but we know people download music and movies and uh, DMCA requests. And if you actually do get nailed, the fines that they will they will go after you per television show per song are just absolutely nuts and television shows it's interesting because i think people look at them completely differently you're describing exactly the cost that i was talking about the the fact that the risk of extremely high fines is part of the cost 
and everybody has to make that decision for themselves. Just don't get caught. You're listening to grumpy old Ben. So you know a little bit about technology. We would hope we can, we can walk you through it. Maybe we should do a whole episode. How to get, how to get whatever content you want online. <laughs> I I'm not the expert on that, but if you can go ahead and uh, make that show with your other co-host, George, I did want to, uh, is, is George, Oh, is George my replacement now? No, I thought that was Mark. I did want to talk briefly about the option that I brought up other than piracy, which is that if somebody prices their content outside of what you consider to be valuable, that you just don't watch it. Back in the days of three channels, there were, you know, 12 shows on the, you know, if you wanted to watch MASH, if you wanted to watch Cheers, you got it on the terms of the people who were producing it. And if you wanted to watch TV at all, there's a good chance you probably wanted to watch MASH and Cheers because they were one of five shows that were on at all. Right. And the question, though, was what if they were on at the same time? Yeah, <laughs> that was. And, and sometimes they did that. But a lot of times that people would complain enough. Uh, but even when, you know, I was in my my formative college years there was a show on called friends and you you may have heard of it of course you've heard of it because it was the show that everybody had to watch why was it the show because there were only 50 shows on total even in college which that that you know you wanted that were even considered real dramas and when you apply for sturgeon's law that meant that there were only five shows that were worth watching and therefore if there was a show that was worth watching and it was good, then you had to watch it. That was it. And like has been a theme on grumpy old Ben's one of the real benefits of the internet age is that there is more of all content. And that means there's more good watchable content. And what that means is that, well, in the late nineties, the cast of friends were able to command millions of dollars an episode because they knew that the network had to pay it because the network knew that they had to carry friends because everybody had to watch friends. And now if anyone tried to do that at all, then the public would, I mean, there's, there's a small segment of the public that would sit there and go, yes, I have to buy, I have to watch game of Thrones at any expense whatsoever, hundred dollars an episode. Yes. Take my money, but there's not that many. And you're not going to make the kind of, you're not going to make friends money by trying to price any show be even if it's walking dead game of thrones whatever the the big everybody must see things are these days walking dead still on i don't even know no i believe that ended but friends i mean the funny thing is the netflix conundrum that they came into uh, just a couple of months ago maybe three or four months ago was they decided they weren't going to pay for friends anymore and people went nuts they went absolutely nuts and friends decided to start paying. I don't know if it was like a million bucks a month or something like that. That is nostalgia talking. Well, it was. I mean, what kids today are still watching friends, which is interesting to me because there's a lot of this, uh, you know, social justice stuff and talking about things like the soup Nazi and in, in Seinfeld and talking about a lot of the homophobic humor and stuff in Seinfeld. <laughs> Seinfeld was a product of its time. It was hilarious in the time that it aired. Well, as was Friends. It doesn't transfer very well to the modern world. No, I mean, but Friends, not that much different. Political correctness has killed comedy. Yeah, and, and Friends is really no different, but I have a six-word answer to your question of why you have to watch Friends, and I mean, this is probably different just for guys and maybe for lesbians. The six-word answer on why you had to watch Friends was Jennifer Aniston, tight clothes, no bra. That was it. I see your point. I mean, that was that was the draw, wasn't it? I mean, for me anyway. Okay, let me ask you this. In the 90s, that was where you had to get boobs because that was what was accessible. <laughs> but in today's world, do you have to go through advertising, inane dialogue, and having to see joey on screen all the time in order to get a glimpse of jennifer aniston's boobs through a t-shirt or do you just go to bing and type in jennifer aniston's boobs and get all the pictures you want instantly <laughs> bing it you can just get page after page after page uh, but really i you know matt leblanc i always found him to be funny i thought I really as far as like the funniest guy on the show i thought was him and he kind of plays the same character in the new show that he's on but when you see him be interviewed, he actually comes across as most actors should. I mean, he's a very well-spoken guy. The comedy is not easy to do. That's one thing. Acting stupid is often a very hard thing to do. You have to be really smart to act stupid. 
or or you go full retard. <laughs> oh, that's a word that's not not acceptable anymore. You're going to get some emails at Ryan at grumpyoldbenz.com, even though it is a legitimate word. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> You're just using it improperly, and we won't get into that rabbit hole today. So to finish up my point, uh, the content that is available today is so much more than what was available back in the days of Friends or the days of MASH, which just so you know, younger generation, those are about 30 years removed between those two examples. It's not all the same people that remembers them nostalgically, but the idea that, oh, I have to watch the latest show is still there. I mean, everybody, what, what was the Game of Thrones? Didn't they recently have an episode come out? Yes. Everybody could not shut up about it. And, you know, it, uh, the other thing that, uh, that came out recently, there was a, a new Avengers movie and everybody had to go see that. But we're getting to the point where the, the Avengers. Can I ask the, you one question about the Avengers movie? If I could, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I haven't seen it. So no, I don't, I, I haven't seen it either, but I want to know why all of these same people that hate capitalism went to see this movie. You know how many billions of dollars that movie made? How can you dare? Give your money to something evil like a company that made Avengers because superheroes. Okay, I guess that's the. I guess that's today's answer to Jennifer Aniston. Tight clothing, no bra is now superheroes. That okay, I got you. So years ago, when I was in college, I came to an interesting realization about content. That realization is that I didn't have to watch the content. I just wanted to watch something good, and it's it's a frame of mind. That is, I believe, central to it. It's always been central to any any kind of of giving up a service. the The frame of mind is when I, I when I went to Netflix, I knew that I wouldn't be able to watch the same things that everybody on cable was watching. I knew that if we had a water cooler discussion and it was about Walking Dead, I haven't seen more than two episodes of that show, and I guess they completed it. I'm not going to be in that conversation. And that's unfortunate. But if I want to, if I have to see Game of Thrones and I have to see Walking Dead and I have to see Star Trek and I have to see NCIS, then I'm going to be subscribing to a lot of services. One of the biggest complaints about cord cutting is people saying, well, if I give up, you know, if I give up cable, I'm saving $150 a month on cable. But then as soon as I subscribe to all of these services, then I have to spend $150 a month for all the service. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a valid argument if you have to watch all of the services. But the mindset that I jumped into very early is realizing that I don't have to watch the show on TV. I just want to watch a good show. And if that's all you're looking for, then you know I, I subscribe to Netflix and we also have a subscription to Amazon Prime, which I don't use very often. Netflix by itself has lots of decent shows for when I just feel like watching something. And no, it's not the same show that everybody else is watching, but it's good content and they're good dramas. And I I don't feel like I'm being left out. Now, that said, my TV watching time is minuscule compared to a lot of people because, of course, podcasts are far superior entertainment. Of course, They're, they're educational, they're enlightening, they are entertaining. And this whole model has changed the way a lot of things work. And also because the the physical media has become crap. But it's interesting now, if you look at Amazon Best Buy, anybody that sells DVDs, the physical things still, you can get a lot of complete television series. And sometimes we're talking, you know, 50, 100 different discs that are involved with putting a whole series onto DVD. And a lot of these 50, 100 disc sets are like 30 bucks. It's amazing. That's that's the value of the back catalog. Yes, but it's amazing how cheap you can get it because you can get hundreds, if not thousands of hours of television for like 20 or 30 bucks. So if that's the show you want, it's very easy to cut the cord and just put discs into a player. Now, let me let me ask you this. How much cheaper would that be if the copyright had expired? Well, probably not much because I think it actually has to cost like 30 bucks to burn that many discs put it in packaging, ship it and everything else. You're, you're probably right there. So I think they are really getting down to their bare minimum of what you can sell these things for. And still they have to be making something on it. But I mean, it really is hard to believe that if this is say a 50 disc set, 
and they're selling it for like 29 bucks with packaging and everything else. That's hard to do. The, the cost of the plastic alone. Yes. I mean, so that's an interesting thing. But yeah, I, if there was a way to access all of this stuff as a one-time payment, something like that, people will do it. I'm fully involved in the Hulu ecosystem. Sounds like you've got Netflix. Uh, my wife is a friend with Netflix and they may share a password. So, I mean, that goes along well. So you can kind of split the costs up a little bit that way. But you're right. The concept of if you're the person that watches all the latest television, you want to see all the latest movies, you want to see all the live sports. By the time you buy all of those services a la carte, you're probably going to be spending as much as you would with a cable subscription. And you're probably going to want a very high speed Internet connection if you have multiple people in your house because you can't have a cheap Internet connection if you've got husband, wife and like four kids all streaming at the same time. And let's be honest, if you're that person, then the cable model is for you because they just bundle everything. They assign a nice high price for it and they say, now you have access to everything. If you don't have the ability to say, I don't need access to this content, then you want access to everything. And you know what? Cable TV is still a pretty cost effective way to get access to all content. Yes. And sometimes bundling works. I will admit I've talked about it in another podcast. I don't know if it was a grumpy old band's random thoughts, whatever, but I did recently move. All these podcasts are just running together in your mind. They do, because I just talk. It's the senility kicking in. That could very well be. A lot of them cover the same type of subjects, but moved from AT&T. My parents had a family plan for years and years and years because they have, of course, bundling. They had AT&T for the home phone, which they still have got to get rid of. They had AT&T for the cell phones we got on their family plan. They had DirecTV. They were in the AT&T ecosystem, but the AT&T family plan to get three gig, I believe, a month total data between everybody on AT&T was like $170. Wow. With taxes and everything. We're now paying, well, 24 on on Xfinity. But if, to be fair, if that was three gig instead of 24, it would be $48. But still, that would be for three gig, a change from 170 down to 48 bucks. We realized that, you know, if you're if you're conscious of not using mobile data to like stream Netflix at work, like my wife, if you just download this shit while you're at home and you have your Wi-Fi, you can get by four people easily under a gig. And if you're a Comcast customer, you even have access to the Xfinity Wi-Fi network, which seemed really gimmicky in the past. But let me tell you, being having the Xfinity on my phone as well, because uh, my, my wife works for Comcast, full disclosure. I'm on the same company, and if you have your Wi-Fi available, chances are anywhere that you go that has a Wi-Fi access point, if that is connected to Comcast, then you're getting free Wi-Fi just because every Comcast modem has an Xfinity access point just available for everybody that, that's on their service. Yes, by default. It's, it's very capitalistic. Yeah, and it's amazing. I mean, you are absolutely right. I have been floored at the amount of hotspots that there are. And there are some places we go restaurants that have their own and that and that's fine as well because they're looking for your data. But that's why you run a VPN on your phone, too. But the intriguing thing about the Xfinity hotspots is turning mobile data off on the phone. The first thing I noticed while driving in the car was every now and then you'd get, you know, you got your little little notification signal. And I'd look and something had been updated just driving down the street. You could be driving 40 miles an hour. It will pick up a hotspot, connect download some stuff before it loses it. So even without mobile data on, if you're in an area that has any kind of buildings, you know, if you have any kind of society around you, any kind of infrastructure, you're probably going to run into an Xfinity hotspot like every few seconds. It's kind of scary. Just go into your phone, put the Wi-Fi thing on so you can see all the hotspots around. And just leave that on while you drive. Don't be the one driving, um, but watch that screen. And it's amazing how many Wi-Fi spots that it'll pick up and how many of those are Xfinity. And, and just to letting to warn you, even if you have your location services off and you're not reporting to Google where you are every moment of the day, the very fact that you have Wi-Fi on the, the big Silicon Valley companies know that you connected to this Wi-Fi at this time and this Wi-Fi at this time, and they can track you that way too. They're all tracking me, man. I need a flip phone. Wait, can't even have that. No phone. Going to get rid of it all. Going to get off the grid. But that is a different rant. Yes, it is. 
Yes, it is. But so bundling works. Sometimes you have to figure out what you watch. For most people, I think probably a vast majority could benefit from cutting the cord. A lot of people are afraid to do it because they're like, you know, my parents, I don't think would ever do it because how do we get this show, this show? If you have somebody that only watches a very few shows, you could hook them up with something like Hulu, especially if they don't mind ads, because you can hook the free Hulu. You still get ads. So if you're watching ads anyway, you can cut the cord, go to free Hulu and watch a bunch of shows. Obviously, you pay six bucks a month if you want the CBS shows. You can get Netflix. And if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, you already get content that way. You can also turn people onto the fact that there's this thing called YouTube where there's a bunch of t- different videos that you can watch there. And if you like certain things, if you like politics, stuff like that, you can get Bill O'Reilly has his own channel <laughs> that you can get in like 59 bucks a year. But if you like this kind of thing, and a lot of people used to watch Bill O'Reilly on Fox, that, that- the fact that you can go if you want that content. 59 bucks a year. It's relatively inexpensive. Mark Levin, Glenn Beck, they have their own network too, which is like 89 bucks a year. So if these are the kind of things that you're like, hey, no, I want to, I really want to see this content, you don't necessarily, well, you don't, there's not necessarily, you don't need a cable subscription any longer to get nearly everything in a fairly easy way, which is why I think the cord cutting is becoming such a popular thing is that it's not hard anymore. If you're willing to do a little bit of homework and have another spying device like Roku, which is another rant to to watch all the content. And and I think we've established there there are certainly people out there for whom the cable model is still the model that they want. But the thing that makes me happy and, f- and makes this feel like progress is that for all the people for whom the cable model is model is not a good fit. Back in the the 80s and 90s, it didn't matter. It was you had cable or you had no content. And if you didn't have cable, then then everybody looked at you funny, like, what kind of weird alien are you? I'm sorry, that might just be me. Well, then you had to sit home and read the encyclopedias. I, for one, um, I applaud the fact that there are now so many new ways of consuming content out there. If you want a la carte services and you need these six shows, then you get the services that have those shows and nothing else. If you want everything, then you get cable. If you, the only thing that you want is grumpy old Ben's grumpy old Ben's, then you subscribe to our RSS feed at grumpy If what you want is MLB, they have, they have a package for that. And if you don't want anything at all, then, uh, then there's always porn on the internet and books. I've heard about those. Yeah, you can use those. So there's plenty of content out there. And before we wrap up this episode, a huge amount of thanks. I mean, we've been telling you now for an episode or two that we have a little donation button on grumpyoldbens.com if you like what you're hearing. And our good buddy, Jay Finley, a.k.a. Baron Walkman, came through big for us. And we just wanted to say we appreciate that. I don't know if we're going to call people executive producers, but I, I think we are. I think we just did. Thank you, executive producer Jay Finley. Number one executive producer. We appreciate the donation. We appreciate that one. You're listening because you're never sure with the new podcast. I, that's that surprises the hell out of me, honestly, that anybody would listen to this. Not only do they listen, but then actually went to the website and rather than sending an email to Ryan at grumpyoldbens.com saying that you suck or sending an email to Darren at grumpyoldbens saying you're doing really good, that that co-host is questionable. He pushed the little donate button and we greatly appreciate it. It's a humbling thing when you do podcast to know one that people are listening, but it's a much, I can't even put it into words. And that is rare for me, but it's a huge thing when somebody pushes that donation button for any amount and the amount that Jay Finley sent was far above and beyond. So everybody else step up. I'm speechless. I'm speechless. (laughs) And you know how rare that is. Yes. It is. So if you want, if you want Sir Ryan Bembrose to be speechless more, it's very easy. Just make a donation to support Grumpy Old Ben's, the value for value model. We appreciate you choosing us as your content provider with no middleman. With no middleman. So I think that about does it. From a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chicago, Illinois, I am Darren O'Neill. And from an undisclosed, somewhat cloudy location on the left coast of the U.S., I'm Ryan Bemrose.